Well, this is Richard C. Wilson of the Family Office Club. Uh, today we have with us uh, Catherine who's going to be sharing her investor mandate interview with us. Welcome, Catherine. Thank you. And what type of uh, an investor are you? Um, I'm primarily an angel investor. Uh, I look at deals actually f ranging from all the way from seed, very early stage, uh, through to, I would say, B or C, depending on the source of the, uh, the deal flow. Um, and uh, the companies uh, can, so B and C probably are probably more in the mainstream of the family office uh, associations um, uh, type, types of investments. Um, but uh, my principal activities are at the earlier, earlier end, uh, and I'm co-president of the uh, We look at deals uh, that are, I would say, uh, all the way from just getting started, but mostly we, we look at them, but we don't invest in those. Uh, the ones that we do uh, uh, get, get very interested in are ones that have very clear uh, value proposition, a very clear market focus. Uh, and uh, that have early traction uh, in the market. And so typically we like to see some revenues, uh, even if they're trials, uh, but trial rev paid, paid trials will be ideal. Um, uh, but more typically, actually, we have early customer engagement. Right, right, okay. And can you share a little bit more in your background? My experience with investors like you that are highly active you know, they have a thousand miles deep expertise either in, in tech or how to scale a company or how to grow a team. That's what gives you conviction to pull the trigger on investments. And also, you know, typically you've had to have great success in the area to have the extra money, obviously, to invest. So what's some of your background that goes into your, your capabilities there as an investor? Um, I have actually multiple sources of, shall we say, um, scars uh, sure. that have taught me on what things to look for. Um, okay. But when people ask me what kind of sectors I tend to focus on, I, I tell people, or what kind of deals, I tell people deals that can make me money. Um, <laughs> uh, ha having said that, there are things that I don't do. Uh, but okay. I actually broadly look at any kind of uh, company uh, that uh, leverages technology in some okay. fashion, number one. Uh, and these could be information technology uh, or medical uh, devices or in some cases, if I'm uh, co-investing with very knowledgeable investors in diagnostics, I don't touch biotech. Uh, and I have invested in real estate funds, but I only want to invest with very experienced, 30-year long kind of experience, track record uh, kind of players. Okay. Um, and, uh, and that's just for me, but the angel organizations that I'm involved with uh, primarily look at the, the first two. Uh, okay. And uh, having said that, I also have a very, very broad set of uh, relationships across the country, uh, other active angel investors, uh, because I uh, head up the deal side of uh, all the way from uh, deal sourcing to uh, evaluation, selection, uh, to diligence, to uh, syndication. And so you know, on the syndication front, once we decide to invest, we want to support those deals. And so I actually maintain active dialogue with lots and lots of angel uh, organizations. So okay. a bottom line is anything that's tech driven, uh, yeah. but they can be service companies. They can be uh, companies that, like I said, leverage technology. So today, I mean, you know, just about any company, right, uh, must leverage technology. So it's a very, very broad mandate.
Right. Okay. And it makes me curious with the Berkeley Angel Network, I'm sure there's a, a scope of what they look at. Then there's a, a type that just gets done faster. You guys talk about, oh, we got to find more companies like that one we did 18 months ago. What is the niche within the niche that is just easiest to get done through? The is it fintech? Is it manufacturing tech? Is it real estate tech? Is it cyber? Yes. <laughs> we have looked at all of those and have invested in all of those, uh, okay. all of the above. Um, I guess what I um, think of as deals that could be successful uh, are companies that have a a deep set of understanding of what they're going after uh, and what I call sustainable competitive advantage. And this could be obviously technology, but it could also be sector expertise. Mm -hmm. um, it could be... Um, uh, experience or somebody having spotted an opportunity, having participated in a sector, uh, maybe they were in a, at a C-level position, but not a CEO, not a whatever, right? But uh, as they are working in a particular sector, they identified an opportunity. Those are actually the best. We like companies that originate from having participated inside a uh, operational or uh, marketing or whatever, uh, role right. where they they have an insight or a particular level of expertise. That's number one. Uh, and that connects up to the number two, which is that uh, they have ver therefore developed a very clear value proposition to the target audience. Uh, and when I say uh, value proposition, you know, it's amazing, Richard, how many companies get founded with a product proposition, having never tested it, uh, right. And are just always playing catch up on, you know, gee, we think this is the case. And have you actually talked to anybody who's going to actually use this thing and willing to pay for it, right? Right. So when I say value proposition. I mean, and this is where we actually like the market traction is that you can demonstrate and prove that actually there are people out there who are, are, are interested, are hurting for your kind of product. Right. Um, and the last thing, which actually is the most important, frankly, uh, is... Um, is there the leadership, uh, the executional skills, the strategic vision that can actually realize this uh, potential? Uh, and you know right. that's a that's you know that's a how do you read the people uh, kind of thing. But uh, my, many of my other activities in my both consulting uh, world as well as my aff affiliation with the Alliance of Chief Executives um, give me that kind of background and knowledge about what companies need to actually scale successfully to anticipate to, you know, be out there and what kind of communication skills, what kind of value systems you have, all of those right. kinds of things roll up into one, which is come right. down to the team. Yeah. Yeah. Such so many good points there about, you know, product testing and traction. And, you know, one thing we often look for for our investors is really, you know, has this person, does they have a team that can execute together? Is the market accepting the price, accepting the product? And just such simple things like that. Um, I talk to people all the time, like one yesterday, they said, oh, well, we're only doing 6,000 a month in sales, but with our conversion rate, we just need to get in front of 100 million people and we'll be 120 million a year company. <laughs> I said, well, have you ever grown a company to 10 million in revenue? Because it doesn't really work like the spreadsheet tells you. Right. Things are, you know, might go sideways a bit along the way. Um, and so it's a, it's a hard thing about early stage investing. And that's part of the value of an angel network to get access to a brain like yours, other people's brains that, you know, together can help bring to consensus whether something is a smart investment and 
it's tough. It's tough to do. So my last question here is just what's your number one piece of advice uh, that maybe you wish you knew 15 years ago um, and others listening could benefit from? Uh, I, after having done this for 20 years, uh, I am afraid that I'm going to actually say something that sounds really trite, uh, which is I'm looking for somebody, I'm looking for leadership, I'm looking for the person to bet on. Uh, my right. motto has been, um, you know, a good team can make any product sing and a lousy team can tank the best technology. Uh, so I think at the end of the day, it's the people that make it work. And so I'm looking for that one person because I'm early stage, which, which means that the uh, team is very small. So you're looking for a couple of founders. Uh, right. You're really looking at the CEO to build, build the culture, uh, to kind of per, uh, personify the value systems, uh, but most importantly, to understand, anticipate, understand his or her level of responsibility, to anticipate, to see, look ahead, uh, to act and think like a CEO. And that's not actually obvious uh, to somebody who hasn't been one. Um, I, you know, I direct a group of CEOs uh, in uh, uh, talking about their strategic challenges. And so I've seen firsthand a very, very close quarters, uh, what it means to um, think and care about your people, think and care about your customers, uh, think and care about your culture and values. Um, I, 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 to anticipate what the growth pains might look like, uh, to understand deeply, uh, what the sales motion process, uh, how you target, who can say no, that kind of thing that actually helps company get really, really successful. Uh, so right. that was what you were talking about. Um, and this, uh, the, the, other, uh, the other aspect of it is, is um, at the CXO level, the people who are co-founders who are you know, on the team, the exec team, um, uh, they don't necessarily have those skills and talents to be the CEO. So the person that really is in charge has the look and feel and, and, um, and the behavior of a leader. And right. that's not necessarily replicatable if you just have been a, shall we say, just CPO or CMO or whatever. Um, and right. so, so that's what I look for. It, it, it sounds really trite, but uh, it's amazingly how rare that is. Right. Yeah, for sure. I couldn't agree more. And I did a uh, investment in a fintech company last August. I was a number two investor and the CEO had grown a fintech company doing the exact same business, but inside of a large bank. And he had grown it to a hundred million valuation, mm -hmm. 16,000 clients, 500 million of money lent out to consumers. And he didn't have a non-compete and he rolled out now instead of 2% equity, he's a majority equity shareholder. He's that much more motivated like I'm going to bet on that jockey all day long compared to the guy who woke up with a bright idea and he thinks he's going to change the world or she's going to change the world. Like, have they been a CEO before and have they ran that business model before? Do they know the market? Um, he checks so many boxes that most people don't check that I thought, well, for sure I'm going to invest with this guy um, because, you know, he's an executor. He's going to get this done. So I think that uh, I couldn't agree more with what you just said. And I, I put my money on what you just said, basically, you know, just a couple quarters ago. So but by the sharing. same token, I just want to also add that as an investor, um, we need to behave in a way that is similar to what we ask of the founder CEOs, mm -hmm. uh, which is that we should anticipate ahead 
and look around and have that 360 vision if we, you know, deserve our, you know, our, what we think of ourselves as, as being experienced investors. Um, sure. I like to say that when, when you look at a company early stage or you look at the capital journey, how much money they're going to have to raise and all that stuff uh, and the different, uh, shall we say, um, uh, pivots they're going to have to do and so on. Um, you, you, you think about how do you anticipate market changes? Um, right. As investors, I think that, that we, we need to think about not just the upfront risk of what, you know, fundraising uh, risks might look like, but right. also um, uh, it, there's funding risk, there's, there's uh, fundraising risk, and then there's right. funding partner risk, for example, right? So in every right. direction where there's a, an obvious risk that's upfront, you have to think two or three steps down the road to see what else is going on. And then you look and see if this proposition actually has what it takes to kind of cover those kinds of bases. I mean, no, nobody is risk-free or else, you know, we wouldn't be playing, playing that game. Right. Um, but the bottom line, though, is that you're looking for people, a team that can anticipate and therefore right. can listen hard and can pivot fast. Right, right, yeah, and I think uh, FDA risk uh, scares me the most having to go through clinical trials, but uh, you know, capital raising risk, if it's binary, if they don't raise their next round, they're done. Right. That's right. pretty scary as well, so right. I, right. I usually try to stay away from things that are high on those two levels, just personally. If we, if we co-invest with others, we want to know who those other people are, especially if they're lead investors or anchor. Uh, you, right. We want to make sure that they are gonna be leading the company in the right direction, at least in the direction that we agree with, for example. Right, right, right. okay. Great, well, uh, our seven minute interview turned into 14 minutes because you had so many good insights and I think um, some people might have to listen to this a second time. You obviously have a ton of experience and a big network. Um, we'd be happy to have you on another one of our uh, virtual investor discussion panels. We're scheduling those out all the way through August right now. So I'm sure you'd be a fit for one of those coming up. And I appreciate your thoughts here today when, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, just let our team know here at the Family Office Club. If you're a Family Office Club charter member, we're happy to help connect you uh, to Catherine. It's just one of the benefits of your membership. And thanks again for your time here today, Catherine. My pleasure. Nice to meet you too, Richard. You too. Take care. Bye-bye.